Episode 102 of the Sleeper in the Bus podcast brought to you by Fangraphs.com. I'm Jason Collette, joined by Eno Saris. Today we are going to review the the, the notes, a lot of news and notes in camps, uh, most of it not good uh, with some of your players, including some high-profile ones. And then we're going to get heavy into Tout Wars, which was this past weekend that I was at. Uh, Eno was not. Mike Podhorzer was also there, but that's the last time I'm going to mention his name because he's now dead to me for stealing two of my players. Uh, but what's going on, you know? Not much, not much. I'm I'm getting excited about the season. It's about to start. Yes, yes. I'll, I'll be at. Are you going to be at opening day covering any of the games in the Bay Area? Yeah, I'll be. I'll be at the A's opening game in in fabulous O. I'll be at the uh, the Rays opening game in the uh, equally fabulous Tropicana Field. So you and I are getting <laughs> the two best ballparks in baseball to uh, have opening day at. Kenneth Mas Terrible. This is awesome. So, uh, speaking of uh, Terrible, let's get into the worst news that we have, and that's you, Darvish, is likely going to start the season on the disabled list. This stiff neck that he thought was something that he had slept poorly on, uh, that's not it. And they, you know, even worse news is they don't know what's causing this issue, but he's going to be on the disabled list. Uh, that sucks for me because I bought him in Tout Wars. I knew that he had an issue, but I thought it was just a stiff neck. After the draft, you know, today we find out, Oh, yeah, by the way, he's not going to start the season. So he may miss one or two starts while they try to figure out what the heck is wrong with him. He's not the only guy in camp hurt. Uh, Jerks and Profar is not out now three months with a shoulder injury unrelated to his other shoulder issue. And Giovanni Soto is now out half the season with knee surgery. And the, the Rangers, who some people were picking to win that division two months ago, are now a gigantic mess. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a, well, you know, the one thing about you, Darvish, and um, this is not an I told you so because predicting injuries is is not a, a science yet. Um, it's not something that we can do with with real authority. But I did write this piece for uh, Sports on Earth where I went through the different things that we know about pitching mm-hmm. injury, and to some extent, you uh, Darvish hit a lot of the the markers for for problems. So he. He doesn't have great control, natural command, um, so that means a little bit about his his uh, delivery. It means that his mechanics might not be 100. Um, percent And in the past, guys with bad walk rates have had uh, different injury outcomes. So, you know, Jeff Zimmerman did a piece where he looked at guys with good command and their injury outcomes, and guys with good command did better. And then there's another thing about you know if you throw your slider almost 30 percent of the time as a starter. You're in a different injury group. Um, that's another thing that you Darvish does. He throws a lot of sliders. So there's some there's some inkling that he could have injuries. And also, he was the, the best thing for predicting injuries is were you on the DL last year? And you Darvish did go on the DL last year. So I think hopefully it'll be a small thing. Last year it turned out to be a relatively small thing. He still had 230 some odd strikeouts. Was still a great pitcher. Um, one of the only nice things about my AL labor squad. So I, I wish the best for you. It could still be a small thing, but you know the thing that went that he went on the disabled list for, and the thing that he's thinking that this might be related to is the trapezius right. issue, which is sort of upper shoulder, which could be you know if you're sort of you know generally gesticulating towards the back of your back, you could upper shoulder and neck. They could be generally related. So. We'll see. We'll see what what turns out. But there was some warning sign for this, maybe. And also, you know, a high strikeout pitcher. I'm, I'm not the kind of guy who says pitch to contact is the way to go. But a high strikeout pitcher throws a lot more pitches. It's just something that happens. Look at Tyler Clippard. He throws. He's thrown more pitches than any reliever in baseball over the last Outside, five years. Well, That's actually, because... one. Carlos Marmol has exceeded him by about eight pitches. That's right. But Marmol has also Marmol. faced, I think, something like a hundred fewer batters. <laughs> it's fantastic to look at. I've always thought that Clipper was going to be a burnout candidate just because of the amount of pitches that he's thrown in that role that the Nationals have used him. But the guy holds up well. Frankly, I think he leads the Nationals in saves. That's how little faith I have in Rafael Soriano. But yeah, Clipper's one of those fascinating cases. 
Yeah, so I, I mean, I, definitely not an I told you so. I mean, the thing with Profar is pretty much out of left field. Um, there's no way to, 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 to have predicted that yet based on his background. So, And it's a terrible one because a lot of people were banking on that upside. He, he definitely has power and at least a little bit of speed. And now we're looking at probably Adam Rosales, uh, who might not have either of those things really. So, you know, that's that's uh, the, the sum of these things does mean something for the Rangers. When 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 one guy goes down, you can say, well, you know, we have, you know, when Derek Holland went down, you can say, well, we can find a guy. He can come in, do his best. And, you know, we'll only miss maybe one or two above right. replacement. When when all these guys are hurt, it's starting to mean I think that that race is tightening. It doesn't mean a ton for fantasy players, but it does mean um, that, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe some of the teams at the bottom are more relevant. Uh, maybe we'll find uh, some really interesting players that come out of this. I definitely want to look at the Texas rotation and see what they're going to do there. What a there's, nightmare. There's, yeah, there's, speaking of nightmares, that looks horrendous. I was reading an article earlier today that they're not sure they want to give the ball to Martin Perez on opening day because they don't know if he can keep his emotions in check. They may give the ball to Tanner Shepherds for opening day. And I don't think Tanner Shepherds is starting pitcher material, but that's the situation that they found themselves in just because all these guys have, have gotten hurt. They've had a, a nightmare of a time out there. And it's an ugly situation. It's just not a, a, a next man up situation. There's not – Adam Rosales – is not going to fill the gap for Profar. Profar went $17 at Nail Towards this weekend. Rosales is a $1 player. Even with more playing time, he's still a $1 player. And whoever you want to slot in Darvish's slot over the next uh, you know two starts or so is still going to be replacement-level talent. And that, that's just a drop-off. So from a fantasy perspective, I'm not rushing out to get any of these guys. Frankly, if I have Darvish, I'd rather go get a middle reliever that gets me some strikeouts. You know, like a Casey Fine, somebody like that. Go get that. And use those numbers rather than a poor starter. And I don't know. It, Odor doesn't look like Odor's coming up. The Rangers have been adamant that he's going down to start the season in the minors. And at catcher with Soto out, that's more playing time for J.P. Aaron Sibia, which is not a good thing because he can't hit. Maybe Robinson Chirinos gets some time and he can hit. Uh, or Chris Snyder, who they just picked up today. So we'll we'll see how that situation is going to play out. Uh, but that's not a good situation. Atlanta's going through the same kind of thing. They're, they just picked up Aaron Harang off the scrap heap. Aaron Harang's now in their rotation. He's going to be their home opening day starter. They open up on the road, but he's going to be their home opener starter. We, you mentioned Chris Baker was let go by the by the Mariners. He's trying to find work. Eric Bedard opted out of his contract. He's trying to find work whether uh, before he decides to come back to the Rays or not. So there are some options out there, but you know, dollar at best, Maybe for some strikeouts in Bedard's case because he still has some swing and miss stuff, and Baker depending on the ballpark he lands in. Yeah, I mean, of all the names that you just said, I'm uh, I'm not very. I guess one thing that was an interesting tidbit was that Aaron Harang is hitting 92 or or sitting 92. That's that's spring. high for him. That's high for him. Could mean something. The Braves definitely, you know, sat, sat up and took notice when when he was out there. So, you know. Maybe Harang in, in Atlanta is interesting. Uh, I think Joe Saunders is one of the guys for the Rangers. I think he's done. He's he looks he's been really bad in uh-huh. spring, and I think there's probably not a worse ballpark fit for him if there is a good ballpark fit for Joe Saunders. So now we're looking at uh, Shepherds and Perez at the top until you comes back, and you know even Harrison's hurting even, and Derek Holland's out for a half season. So. You know, now you're bringing up uh, maybe Colby Lewis and Nick Tepesh, um, you know, for the final ones. There's some people have been talking about Robbie Ross. Uh, they, these, are not, these are not great players. The one thing that I sort of quibble with is I look across the line at Colby Lewis's projection, and he's projected for like a 470 ERA. And I know he gives up homers, but, you know, and I know he missed a ton of time, but... I'm a, I'd take the under on that, and I think that there's a little bit something about Colby Lewis that's interesting. I mean, he spent three years in Texas doing what he does and being at least deep league relevant. So 
I, I'm I'm looking a little bit at Colby Lewis. Uh, out of all the names that you mentioned, all the sort of veterans that might grab a fifth starter spot. You know, I, I may look at Colby Lewis myself when I have the fab and the tout wars because I have Darvish I have to replace now. I also drafted Jeremy Hellickson, who I know is out, and Trevor Bauer, who we don't know what the situation is yet. But that's just the way the AL talent pool is in a 12-team league because uh, I missed out on some of those endgame targets being in dollar days. Uh Good news for fantasy stuff. Uh, looking at Atlanta, I don't know if this if you're a BJ Upton owner, you're probably looking for any bit of good news. But there's it looks like they're going to hit him second in the lineup. They don't care about the strikeouts. They're going to hit him second in the lineup behind Jason Hayward. I'm guessing the thought is he's going to see more fastballs and give him a better chance to do those. I argue BJ Upton's problem is that he has problem he has trouble with velocity, especially uh, from righties up in the zone. That's an issue for him. And, and good fastballs are still getting to him. I think the bigger news here is Chris Johnson. They're saying he's going to hit cleanup. Uh, and this is a guy that hit seventh in the lineup last year. I think that's a really good situation for him. So if you get Freeman, you got Freeman, you've got Hayward in front of him. It looks like the way they're set, setting up the lineup, Chris Johnson hitting higher in the order, more RBI chances. So increased RBI chances can help offset some of that loss in batting average that is likely to come this year is that 394 batting average on balls in play could drop 20, 25 points if it holds within his career norm. May his batting average maybe drops to 290, but increased RBI opportunities. This is huge because this guy is being severely underdrafted because everybody's running away from the potential batting average regression. Now RBIs are in play, and I think it's a good time to pounce if you're in a uh, in a draft this weekend. Yeah, I think, you know, we talked about him a little bit before. I, I, I agree with you. I think that there's some nice value there. And I think, you know, probably borderline mixed, maybe corner infield, util, bench guy. Um, you, there's not really much in Atlanta that's that's pushing him. I and mean, there's there's no young third baseman coming up behind him. Joey, Joey Tordoslovich, I want to say that name, Tordoslovich, so bad. But it's Tordoslovich. He's not really... <laughs> he's not really a prospect. Um, and I don't think he's pushing Chris Johnson. So, you know, he's, he's, he's a veteran guy. He, his downs, I think his floor is re- like reasonably high. I would say 275 is, is a, is a decent floor for him. I think he's shown he can do better. Makes a lot of contact. Gonna have a lot of RBI. You know, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's a guy. He's a guy that I've had in a few, t- anytime I've been in the NL league, he's been on my roster in mocks, real drafts. I've got an NFBC draft this Sunday. I would like to have him on my team. Uh, I had him last year. I was a big fan of what he did last year, and we'll see where it goes from there. A couple of other fantasy notes before we get into uh, Tout Wars. We still have a, a decision to make with the fifth starting job in uh, with the Mets. Daisuke Matsuzaka, zombie Daisuke, is still holding on there against Henry Mejia. The Mets have still not made that decision, but they did do something with Daisuke's contract to keep him around for at least a few more days. You have any more insight on that? Yeah, actually, and I and I wrote a piece that's going up today about why I think Mejia is actually deep league, rele- I mean, uh, mixed league relevant, just because of his stuff. Um, he actually ditched a, a, an average curve for a really good slider. It got twenty seven percent whiffs last year, so I think the slider is really nice. It gives him a slider, a change, a cutter, and a sinker, all with great movement. And he doesn't have great uh, natural command, but I think the pitches have a lot of movement, so. I think he's a really good player when he's in. The problem is his career high innings is 108 innings. And that factors into what happened today. They gave Daisuke $100,000 extra dollars to stick around and to, to basically retain his rights as a minor leaguer. So they can send him down, which I think opens the door for Mejia. And he's got one more start in the, in the spring training to sort of prove him. But it also what it also does is allow them to – uh, send Daisuke down uh, for to in order or or keep Daisuke around. It's a little bit complicated, but it has something to do with the opening week of of games. If Nice is hurt, they will want someone to start in Nice's spot, and they can't they can't send Mejia down and then bring him up. With um, you know, they had to give ten days in right. between. So by doing this, they give themselves more roster flexibility. And it gives Mejia, I think, at least two more starts. It gives him a start in the spring training to prove his worth, and it gives him a start in the regular season, uh, possibly for Nice or, or for Daisuke. And I think, you know, the, if he does well in those two starts, I think it'll be hard for the Mets to really push him down for Daisuke, which has 
He has no – he's all floor, no ceiling. He's just a veteran guy for innings. And I think what they would do then is just pitch Mejia – uh, at the beginning of the season, and when he starts running into an innings limit, uh, then either if Daisuke is still with them, bring Daisuke up, or find you know whoever didn't get a job out of the uh, Flotsam and Jetsam that's out there. Scott Baker in, in New York is not, I think, that much different from Daisuke Matsuzaka. Yeah, I agree with that. The other fantasy note, uh, of re- last one of, of relevance here, is Kevin Franzen opted out of his deal with the Phillies. They were going to have to pay him $900,000 that he decided to let that go. Maybe he's the guy that ends up in Texas. If, if you are in an AL-only league and Franzen does end a, uh, land a job there in Texas, that's somebody that at least has some offensive ability, maybe you know three or $4 of production, but it's better than Adam Rosales, who we know just runs out his home runs. I think that's his only redeeming skill. <laughs> Energy, dude. Dude loves to run He's out his also... home runs. It, it, is, it is fun to watch him when he hits a home run. It is also, I don't know if it is actually fantasy relevant, but the, the, the final couple starters in Seattle are up in the air. And with the release of Scott Baker, it looks like it's two out of the three. I, I, I'm, I'm counting um, at the top of the rotation. I'm counting um, mm-hmm. Felix and then Paxton yep. and Erasmo yep. for, for now. And then the, the final two spots um, would be, I guess, would be one of them would be irrelevant once Iwakuma yes. comes back. And Walker. Um, I don't, we don't know if Walker's going to be ready to start the season. Right. So the, these two might be kind of irrelevant, but they'll be relevant in some way all season long because I did some research, found that teams use 10 starters on average. You know, they're 65% likely to have two guys on the DL at once at any given time in the season. So um, they're going to need, they're going to need, uh, they're going to need these guys. And so it is interesting to know who those guys are. It looks like it's going to be Randy Wolf as one of them. And then the other one is either Blake Bevan or Roanis Elias. And Blake Bevan is terrible, 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 terrible. I mean, terrible, terrible. In all, all the ways I can think of a pitcher Tell being us what terrible, you really think about Okay. He's terrible. It's funny because I do the pitch type stuff, and I look at his pitch types, and there's not a single pitch where I'm like, that looks like an average major Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Oh, there it is. <laughs> so I, I think that that means Rowanus Elias. He doesn't have great minor league numbers. I don't, I don't know very much about him. I will just admit that right, right here. And um, there's not really a lot out there. He's not a big prospect. In, in, you know, in the different books I've seen, he didn't really make their top ten or anything. Right. But he's a lefty, looks like he has decent command, and he might get a few starts at the beginning of the season, might be someone to think about in your deepest of leagues. But I mean, my issue with him, yeah, my I mean, issue with him is he's never pitched above double-A, and it reminds me a lot of Brandon Maurer last year. Maurer looked good in camp. Uh, they brought him up, but he couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat, and it was a disaster all year. I think it's the same risk with Elias. I, I, knew, I knew he had a good chance of making the club. I needed a starting pitcher. I didn't even go near him, and even the reserve draft over the weekend. I just said, you know what? I've been down this mistake, been down this road before because I had Mara last year as a reserve and threw him in early, uh, and it wasn't pretty. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think those are going to be the guys. But uh, Iwakuma, the last report I saw said he still didn't feel like his finger was a hundred percent. He's he's progressed. He's throwing baseballs. He was throwing tennis balls last week. Now he's at the baseballs. He said he still doesn't feel a hundred percent. So I, I still don't expect him back until May. That's just kind of time to I think Walker beats Iwakuma back as soon as he gets his regular reps in. So whoever we're talking about here is still going to be maybe three starts before they're going somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, beggars can't be choosers in the deepest of leagues, but it, it was worth bringing up, I think. So uh, speaking of deep leagues, uh, you had your, your – uh, your AL Tout Wars draft um, this past weekend in New York. You guys had a lot. Oh of fun, yeah, huh? just a bit, <laughs> just a bit. Uh, it took me a little bit to uh, to get my sleep schedule caught back up because there were a few uh, four hour sleep nights there. Yeah, I saw something about um, you know bouncers and fights and crazy nights in the in the clubs from on Ray Flowers. Oh, was, yeah, Ray up. Flowers, Jeff Mann's fancy alarm crew. They they went they went out and did some extra extracurricular activity. But no, this this married man <laughs> did not go to those clubs. What? When in New York? I mean, it's funny because in Phoenix, 
you know, everything shuts down, so we have to have a hotel room party. Yes, that is true. That's what we have to do. But no, I'd, I'd stayed out of those clubs. But yeah, it was a great time seeing everybody. We uh, had Foley's of multiple nights, watched basketball, watched the baseball game uh, on Saturday night. And uh, the drafts were, were very interesting and uh, fun at the same time. Yeah. You know, when I look across the uh, AL Towers, it's something that I remember when looking at AL Labor is that, you know, no team, when you look at every team has warts. I mean, there's no way to spread your money out so that your team has no warts. Um, and so I, I wanted you to talk about it a little bit because it seems to me there's a few different places where people did not necessarily punt, uh, but just to spend a little bit less and get a little bit less just so that they could, you know, hit hard in other places. So um, I see that you got Hank Conger and, and Yosemite Pinto for a combined six bucks. That's, that's something that I did in ALA, but it just felt like, you know, catchers just suck, so I'm going to get two that might do a little bit better than backup duty um, and uh, and hope that they get me, you know, 400 plate appearances a pop. Is that sort of what yeah, you're Yeah, I mean, thinking? this is this is an OBP league, for those who don't know. So this is the first year Tout Wars has been an OBP league. And when I when I looked at the catcher market, you know, typically if you're in a standard AL, you, you figure that you can, get, you can get guys with safe floors, you know, like – like John Jaso, you know, that's a guy who still gets on base enough. But in this format, John Jaso went $12 because he gets on base a lot. I mean, even somebody like Chris Iannetta, who you could typically get cheap in a standard league, went for $10. Derek Norris, because he gets on base and even steals a bag or two, goes nine, uh, went $9 in this. Przinsky went 11 So I look at the catcher market and said, you know what? No, I'm not doing this. I mean, you and I have talked uh, about how much we, do, we dislike Mike Zunino. Zunino went $4. So when I look at the market and say, you know what? I like the power upside of Conger and Pinto. They may struggle on OBP, but it's like I'm punting batting average. I don't care. I, I'm getting you for power. And when I've been in Wars a couple of years, one year I bought Joe Maurer at 23, and I forgot who my dollar catcher was. And that year is one of the years Maurer had his issues. Last year I spent 18 on Jesus Montero and a dollar on Carlos Corporan. And Carlos Corporan out-earned Jesus Montero. So when I've looked at it, I'm like, I could go cheap on catcher here because there's some upside with Conger and Pinto. That duo could hit me 10 home runs. They could combine to hit me 30 home runs. And that's just why I looked at the market and said, I'm going to go there. I know some teams like Larry Schechter went at $2 on Tyler Flowers, $1 on John Buck. Glenn Colton and Rick Wolf went $1 each on Francisco Cervelli and Kurt Suzuki because they dropped 20 on V-Mart at Utility knowing that he's going to get five games in season, they can just move him there. So that was a smart play by then. Larry's typically gone cheaper with his catchers in the past because it's a strategy that's worked for him. After all, the guys won the league three straight years. But everybody does, you know, they will have warts in a league like this where there are a few uh, breaks within the within the auction. You know, you're going to have spots. You have to look at something and say, okay, I'm going to give up speed or I'm going to eschew closers here. Some teams will buy two closers. Some will buy none. I mean, I ended up with with half a closer in, in Chad Qualls, not by design, but when I looked at the closer prices in this auction, I just wasn't willing to pay what they were going for. $17 for Ernesto Frieri. I like the Angels a lot this year. I think they could contend to win the AL West, but I'm still not willing to pay $17 to Frieri, who lost his job at a point last year, to Dane De La Rosa for a couple of saves and those kind of things. I picked up De La Rosa uh, in the reserve round, just because like, I looked at that these save prices uh, for closers, and I was like, no, I'm moving this money elsewhere. I'll go buy these closers, or I'll go pick up some on free agents. I picked up Danny Farquhar a month ahead of him taking that closer role last year because I liked what I saw. I liked the skills. I saw Wilhelmson slipping up. Yeah. No, let's, let's go back to closers in a second. And one thing that occurs to me, I wonder if there's a way – to quantify floor and, and, and ceiling a little bit when it comes to positions because I feel like catchers can be really terrible and yet get run out there every day or, or you know, at least twice a week uh, in terms of a backup catcher. So I feel like in a way the, the ceiling for the catcher position is probably lower because, you know, even the best catchers usually about 500 plate appearances, maybe a little bit more. And the floor might actually be higher than, say, you know, a dollar pick on the infield. Because, you know, I look around, you know, Connor Gillespie, John Singleton, these are dollar infielders. Eduardo Nunez, um, they don't really, they, their floor is so low. Ryan Flaherty is a $2 guy. Their floor is so low 
that they might not even be playing at all, you know? And I wonder that if it does, if there's some way to sort of look at the numbers and say, you know what, the dollar catcher is better than the dollar infielder because the dollar catcher will probably at least get you 300 plate appearances and do this at X, Y, and Z, whereas the dollar infielder has a 30% chance of not making the team. Yeah, with with Nunez, I was the guy that took him for a dollar. When I look at him, I figure he's backing up Brian Roberts. And, and to me, I figure there's there, there's your path to playing time because we've talked about how how much trouble Brian Roberts has staying on the field. So with stolen bases, my team's light on speed. I knew that. So getting into the end game, I'm looking at stolen bases saying, you know what, Nunez has got the best chance to get him because even if he doesn't start, He's going to steal bases as a pinch runner late in games when he comes in or uh, whatever he does. So I, I like that. But to your point about your- – I think that's actually one of the better mm-hmm. ones, and, I, and I'm, I'm happy about that one. Um, you know, Not only is he backing up Brian Roberts, but he's also backing up Derek Jeter. Yes. So that's, that's a guy I can understand. Um, you know, Ryan Flaherty, I'm not sure that he has the skills to be a backup, you know, super util guy like Eduardo Nunez. If he loses out on the second base job, you know, maybe he gets a week of playing at third base when before Manny Machado comes back. But if Manny Machado is healthy and Jamal Weeks has the starting job or, or Jonathan Scope or some combination mm-hmm. of those two, then Ryan Flaherty almost doesn't have a place on it. It is a little strange. I mean, as, as crazy as this sounds, Eduardo Nunez was a draft day target of mine because... I don't trust Jeter to play 150-plus okay. games, and I don't even trust Brian Roberts yeah. to play 100 games. He was absolutely a draft target of mine, and I was very happy to get him at dollar. I was hoping nobody would top me because after that, there was nothing. I would have been picking up – I don't even know. I mean, Steve Lombardozzi may have been my guy. He ended up going in the reserves, but that's kind of what my, my sheet was down to. Uh, the, with that, to your point about the catcher, you know, AL catcher last year, if I, if I go to our leaderboards and just sort by AL catcher – that that baseline, 245, 313, 393 slash line with a 311 weighted on base average. That is what the catching position did. So if you're looking at somebody, I mean, that's a number that I think Hank Conger could absolutely do. I threw him out at $2 and got him at $2, and I threw him out earlier in the draft because I was I say, okay, let me try to save some money here. I, I would really like to get uh, Jan Gomes. We've talked about... How much I like Gomes. Gomes went thirteen dollars in this, and I was not going to pay fourteen. I got up to ten, but then we got eleven, twelve. I'm like, no, forget it. I'm not going to worry about it. And then when Pinto came out at, at one, I said two. Somebody said three. I said four. I like the offensive upside there. Minnesota stinks. They're going to need something in that lineup, and I think eventually he's going to win out there. And even in part-time playing time, he could do what John Buck's done in part-time playing time and hit, hit home runs without killing you in your on-base average. Yeah, and I think I, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I did it too um, in, in AL labor, so I'm I'm sold on the idea that it's just such a bad position that it, it I don't really want to spend a lot of money there. Maybe if someone is way underneath my values, I'll go for it. But you know, in terms of how I'm thinking about going in, I think we did that similarly. But you know, one thing that I uh, that I want worry about, wonder about, it seems that there's two or three different places where it's easy to maybe spend less, like I was saying, spend less, not necessarily punt the position, but spend less in order to be able to spend places in other places. So I think one of those is catcher. There's two-catcher league. There's, it's, there's some really terrible catchers out there, but everyone's going to suffer from that to some extent. So you can, you can spend a little bit less there. Middle infield, if you make sure that you have representative middle infielders or you have like an Eduardo Nunez backup plan, um, then you can do that. And I think, uh, you know, I I guess some people do it in the outfield. Some of these people definitely did it. And then there's the closers. What I worry about is that I mentioned four, and it seems like you kind of did it in three places. So what uh, what did you get out of not spending at closer and not spending a catcher and not really spending that much on the middle? Well, of the one of the things I gained from that is I was able to get a, a very loaded outfield. When you look at my outfield of Cespedes, Myers, Joyce, Aoki, Rasmus, and Cabrera, that also, for people who don't know, Tout Wars has four outfielders. It has a utility spot. Then you have a swing spot that could be a player or a pitcher, and you can alternate it by week. I drafted player, as most people do. But those six guys, each of them should get 475-plus plate appearances. So I'm going to get production from those spots. 
That's where rather than spend big money on some of the bigger power bats, I spread that out across that looking at playing time, looking at guys that can get on base and worked on that. I also went out and bought pitching early. The second guy of the draft was was Tanaka. I bought him at 19. I ended up buying Darvish at 31 shortly thereafter. And then James Shields, I had as a $22 player, and I got him at 20, 45 picks in. That's kind of where I was able, once I looked at that, I said, okay, I've got, and those were my first, those are three of my first four buys. I bought those three of Mike Moustakas at 10. Then I sat back for a while because that's when all the bigger bats were going. People were paying 25 bucks for some of these guys. And I said, you know what? Let me just wait this out, wait this out. And then I jumped back in and started buying all of those tier two to tier three outfielders to roll that out. Look, Because at the same time, if it wasn't a big bat, it was closers going. And every time I saw these closers going above what I thought they were going to go for, I said, I'm confident I could pick up saves. I know 30% of saves in a league come from a free agent pile. So I've got to be very diligent in my fab work to go get those guys and be ahead of the game like I was last year with Farquhar. Maybe I can move some offense as I build up enough cachet statistically with what I see as a, a significant playing time advantage. When I had my targets looking at uh, looking at my targets for home runs and everything, offensively, I fell a little short in steals. I'm a little below where I wanted to be on, on base average. But home runs, runs, RBIs, I'm above my project, above my targets for all three of those. Yeah, yeah. It's, I definitely. Definitely see it. So let's get back to closers. Um, I like I like that stat about thirty percent of the of saves are on the waiver wire. Also, you know, about a third of all closers lose their job, whether it's an injury or, or poor performance in a given season. So um, those are those are very similar numbers. Um, so I, I think you know, closer. I, I'm with you on one thing that I find really interesting when I look at these drafts is that I can't I can't make I can't I can't manipulate my value sheet to make closers worth as much as they go for. Like I, 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 like I physically can't do it. I've tried, I've tried mucking around with it and I just can't make closers, especially the top closers. There must be an idea that you're paying maybe $15 for Greg Holland stats. And then you're paying five extra dollars because Greg Holland will keep his job. It may be. This is, this seems to be the, the highest that I remember closers going for. I was, I remember looking at it saying, okay, you know, Greg Holland is really good. I get that. But I was just stunned at how, some, how high some of those guys were going for. It just – I wasn't ready for that. Let's look back at last year's Tout Wars auctions. And these are, the, these are the dollar amounts for some of the closers. Greg Holland went 18. Fernando Rodney went 19, coming off that amazing season. Joe Nathan, 19. Um, looking at a few others here. Uh, Ball four, 14. Uh, Perkins, 16. Jansen nine. That's kind of where that market, uh, you know, fourteen dollars, fifteen. That's where that closer market. Uh, Mariano Rivera nineteen. So we you know, we didn't have we didn't have a twenty dollar closer last year, and this year it was like everybody was seventeen dollars or up. And I was just, what 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 shifted the market there? Why did this happen? Yeah, I don't get it either. Uh, and it's not like we spent the entire uh, off season talking about you know closers being undervalued. In fact, I. What I remember spending the most of the offseason talking about was whether or not top starting pitching deserved more money. Yes. So yes. this is a little bit out of left field for me. And I understand on some level, closers should be judged against closers because we're all going to have three or four relievers on our squad. And so those three or four roster slots should be compared against your three or four roster slots. So, you know, an elite closer you know, can make a, a big impact. But I just, I, you know, when it gets to 20, what was it? Krim, uh, Kimberl was in the other league, but, um, you know, what, what did Holland go for? 24. 20, 24. Uh-huh. 24 is crazy to me. I don't understand. Here are some starters. I mean, Felix Hernandez on the same team went for a dollar more. I mean, really? I just, I won't go that far. I won't go that far. None of my values... On my value sheet, none of my values was over like sixteen or seventeen bucks, and even that, when I was like, "Well, if I can really get, you know, Greg Holland for sixteen bucks, I'll do it." But I, I, I knew that it was going way past sixteen bucks from the way people were jumping in. So, you know, that's how even Freire for me, I bought him for fourteen um, in AL labor. On my value sheet, it was only eleven, but I was like, "Okay, this is this is me paying." Three bucks, uh, I don't pay ten bucks more than my value sheet. Um, but uh, you did you did a helpful thing here. You 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 brought all the values together 
um, for all the different closers and all the different tout wars. And I mean, literally, like I go up and down. There's like one value. Rex Brothers. No, no. There's no values. I can't find a single value when it comes to uh, what they actually went for against you know Roto Wire and Roto World projections right. and stuff. So I, I don't. I don't yeah, see I see values. when I did this, and the table that Edo and I are talking about here is actually going to be up at a piece I, I did for Rotowire that reviews my entire roster. You guys are getting the audio form of this. But when you look at, there were 16 closers that went for at least $15. We had, these are the AL, the NL only leagues. I'm not even talking about mixed. Kimbrell, Holland, Jansen, Yuhara, Nathan, and Rosenthal each went 20 or more dollars. And then you have Robertson, Perkins, Frieri, Balfour went 16 to 19 with Cshek, Grilly, Jansen, Johnson, Reed, and Romo each going for $15. Even Tommy Hunter, crappy Tommy Hunter, a guy that you and I have both railed on, went $10. The bargain to me, Aroldis Chapman going $10 in the NL. If he's back in six to eight weeks and is only going to miss, you know, if he's going to be a, the closer for 17 scoring periods, to get him at $10 is still nice. When you look at when you look at that, he actually went more in the mixed league. He went for eleven in the mixed league. But you have Fernando Roddy, twelve, Axford, who was one of my targets, thirteen, Soria, who may only have the job for a little bit, goes fourteen dollars. I just I, I was like, no, I'm not gonna I'll go trade for these guys. And I, I really don't like trading for closers in the season, but if I do it, I do it early because if I'm not gonna worry about trading for a closer in July, because I'm only gonna get ten to twelve saves. If I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it by mid May, end of May, and try to maximize their save potential. Yeah, it's just, uh, I, you know, I guess one thing that changes things a little bit is uh, free auction, uh, is FAAB, uh, free agency auction yep. bidding. It changes things a little bit because I guess in some ways I'm still used to the old days for me, which were, you know, I can run to the wire and, and, and get a closer anytime I want. And, you know, when you have FAAB, you have to decide, especially if, 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 they've, if they've been minted closer before Sunday rolls around. And they're a free agent on the wire. You have to decide how much money you're going to spend on it. A lot of times, it's it's one of the bigger numbers of the year. I mean, you were you were good to get Farquhar ahead of ahead mm-hmm. of the rush, and I and I did a little bit of that last year in labor too. Is look at guys who could be closer and get one of them on the team. But um, that even that strategy is starting to go out the window, and and more and more relievers are being owned. So. You know, I guess it's just the premium people are paying for that one category, and um, and I don't actually think that Roto you can you can punt 100 percent. Even from what I'm hearing, even though you only have a closer or, or, or two half closers or whatever you have, um, you're not talking about punting. No, I definitely don't want to. I, I have. I also took Sergio Santos, who came up early in the auction. I've talked about when we did our, our Blue Jays review. I said how good I thought he looked and how his stuff was playing out, and we've talked about the concern with Jansen's shoulder. I also took Ryan Webb because I, I hate uh, Tommy Hunter that much, and I'm looking at who who else could be that. Ryan Webb was going to be a target for a dollar regardless. He's one of the guys I was drafting on a skills play there. Santos, I truly think, is going to lead that, that Blue Jays team in saves. His stuff looks that good, and shoulder issues, You know, if a closer's got him, it just doesn't seem like that's something that goes away. I don't expect Toronto to be a competitive team this year. And if the shoulder does get healthy on Jansen, he becomes prime trade bait as well because uh, Santos yeah. has got another year on his deal. So that's one of the issues I'm looking at. And Qualls, I, I think he still has the best skills of everybody with the Astros there. That situation could change later on. You know, it could be Crane. It could be Fields. It could be multiple people. But I'd rather – I $6, I was like, okay, I'm going to pay this because this is the best option I have left. I passed on Tommy Hunter and took Chad Qualls shortly thereafter. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's a good idea to to maybe get one toe in the water. That's that's why I did pay for Friary. I wanted to have one closer and then spend the rest of my time trying to find a second. What did you pay? What did you pay uh, for Friary? Fourteen, you said. 14, See, I would have. Yeah, I thought I was able to. I really on my sheet. I'm like, okay, I can get it for fourteen bucks. And then Jeff Erickson went seventeen. I was like, man. <laughs> that's early on. That's kind of like okay. If this is the way the closer market's going to be, if free and he was one of the early closers uh, that went out. That's because I actually tracked the draft order. So let me show you what the the order of these closers that went out. And it was uh, a you, you know, it was rather weird how it went out. So this is the order of how the uh, how the closers went out. As I wait for the site to uh, pop up. 
uh, you know, it was he was an early guy when he came out, so it wasn't like it was somebody that it wasn't like it was a late draft auction dynamics. These were the closers. Pick number uh, bid number seven. Nathan goes twenty dollars. Ninth player nominated, David Robertson, nineteen. Eleven was Uahara, who went twenty-one. Jansen was the thirteenth guy. He went for fifteen. Holland was the nineteenth guy thrown out. He went twenty-four. Freire is the 25th guy thrown out 17. So we're one, two, three, four, five, six, seven closers in the, seven closers gone within the first 25 nominations of the auction. And Jansen, the guy with the bad shoulder, is going 15, yeah. which is where the market was last year. So then when Santos came up yeah. as the 34th, I was like, $4, I'll take him. And I just watched the next guys go 15, 13, 18. It's just that's where it got to them. Finally, Soria was uh, $14 as the 94th player bid on in this auction. And that's it. That was the last double-digit reliever. So that's how, that's how quickly closers went. So we knew early. I knew early that I wasn't going to play it at saves market, not at these prices. So I was able to shift the dollars. Now, that's one thing I'm thankful for. A lot of these closers started flying off the board. There's 12 teams in the league. So that's about eight trips around the table. And all the closers were gone. Yeah. So let's uh, let's help people out uh, in closing. Let's help people out with just a couple names that aren't closing now, that maybe aren't being talked about as much. I know we've talked about uh, Houston pretty well. Is Crane and Qualls are the guys there that we like, um, and and Crane looks probably he might not be healthy beginning of the season, which makes Qualls even better. Uh, but what are some other names uh, around the season? You know, I actually like yes, Farquhar. Again absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Farquhar, yeah. Uh, Santos, and Webb because I drafted them. Uh, Daniel Webb yeah. in, in Chicago with the White yeah. Sox. I like Daniel Webb stuff a lot. You know, if, if if you're if you're letting somebody else take Soria because you want to take Feliz, the latest Velocity reports still have him at 91-92. That's still well short of where he needs to be to be effective. So I would let somebody else chase him to go find uh, you know one of the other options we've talked about. If you are of the concern, as I am, that Yuhara is not going to be able to make it through a full season because he doesn't have that track record, I still like Tazawa. Even if he doesn't close, there's still some good skills there. There's still some swing and miss. I'm not sure if it's going to be Tazawa or Mojica, depending on you know which one goes there. It could be Mojica because he's kind of the same type of guy. He may be concerned, oh, high fly ball rate, but you know, so does Yuhara. That's not a, that's not an issue. <clears throat> so, but either one of those guys in a single I league. Think, I, I kind of like Tazawa because, you know, we did a little bit of research suggesting that that, that fastball velocity. Uh, was slightly predictive um, along with strikeout rates of closer changes. Um, that was from Fangraphs Plus a couple years ago. Jackie Moore did that. And, you know, I, I, and just from a sort of divining rod, uh, and it's going to sound like uh, crappy, crappy analysis, but, you know, I think with closers, you kind of, you're, you're locked into crappy analysis. <laughs> you kind of have to, I've called it thinking stupid in the past because, you know, there's almost no way to figure it out. You know, they, they every team, every manager uses different reasons for why they made their choice. But um, the reason I, I think that it would be weird to go to Mujica after if if Wehara had some sort of problem is that he he's so much like yeah. Wehara, and yet he you know he's kind of worse. He just doesn't have the same velocity, doesn't have the same strikeout rates. So Tazawa has him beat on velocity and strikeout rates, and is a, and has a little bit more of a balanced repertoire. So I think it would feel a little bit more like a change rather than, okay, well, we have this other guy who's almost like Wehara, but just a little bit worse. Um, so I, I do, I like the Tazawa pick. Um, big on Santos. I think Jansen was already overperforming his, his, his natural swinging stuff in terms of his swing strike rate and stuff. He, he, his strikeout rates were a little bit higher than I expected every year. And now with the shoulder trouble, I definitely like Santos. I know Delabar is a guy... But Delabar's elbow is held together with metal, and super glue. I just, yeah, and super glue. And there's there's a lot of walk rate in there. And I know walk rate hasn't been shown to be too big of a deal. But Santos has the experience. I know that's not that big of a deal. But you know what? This is what I'm saying. This is this is what we have to. This is what we're forced to do when we're talking about closers. And I think Santos is a little bit closer than Delabar. So. Um, yeah. So hopefully some of those names will help you out when you're out there looking for saves. Yeah, indeed. Now, the other auctions, there was nothing really uh, in the in the NL, uh, only Tout Wars. There wasn't anything that really stood out uh, from that auction. <clears throat> pardon me, from that auction. Nothing really uh, was crazy. There was no uh, 
It didn't seem like anybody punted. Usually Tristan Cockcroft, who's won the league, I believe, the last two years, uh, has tended to punting, punt at batting average. What he, I did, I was sitting next to him, so I kind of made some cracks because he was the last guy to roster an outfielder, and his most expensive outfielder is Andre Ethier. And, and we talked about, you know, I remember uh, Cameron wrote the piece on Ethier and how well he hits right-handed pitching and kind of gets overlooked. Yeah, his outfield is Ethier, Polanco, Bird, and Jay, and it's dirt cheap. But he really loaded up. If you look at an NL team, for a guy, he loaded up on pitching, 27 Wainwright, 17 Bailey, Zach Wheeler at 10. And that's one of the things, when looking at that, Billy Hamilton went $22 in this room, and Billy Hamilton was one of the first guys that was thrown out. I believe he was in the top five, and he ended up going $22. Keep in mind, it's on base percentage league, so you're really banking on him to be able to do that. Uh, and that that's really what the NL was. It wasn't a crazy thing. Unlike the mix, the mix is where stuff got really crazy. Yeah, I mean, I've never, I've never, I don't think I've even seen a, a, an expert league where one dollar was left on the table. But uh, did someone leave sixty-one dollars on the uh, table there? Essentially, yes. Um, Scott Swaining of Fantasy Sharp has been in the league a few years, and he he wrote about it. If you go to toutwars.com, you'll see a link for people that have published their draft reviews, and you can click on a story to read that. He he got very fixed to his dollar values. And it wasn't until way too late that he said, ah, crap, this isn't working out. And that's what happened. So he ended up with $63 for a catcher and a pitcher and spent $2 or $64 rather. And he spent $2 or $3 on Mike Zanino. And then he dropped the final $61 on Brandon Beachy. While that may sound insane, it actually is a, a, a nice play within the rules of Tout Wars because once your guy's placed on the disabled list, you can reclaim him in fab dollars. So now Swainy's got 60% more fab dollars than anybody else in the league because he gets to sell back that $61 beachy and reclaim that money. So he can use some of that. And this and, and for a mixed league, this could work out. I mean, there have been cases in the past where guys have had have left money on the table and have won the league. It's happened. Uh, in labor, I know Jonathan Mayo did it one year. I remember talking to a couple other guys. People were bringing back stories where it's happened. So, but he's got to be extremely diligent because a bad draft cannot kill you, but it certainly puts you behind the eight ball. And in this case, uh, Scott's behind the eight ball, but having 160 fantasy uh, fab dollars to play with is going to help him be diligent. But he's got to be extremely diligent on that waiver wire to see what's out there to jump on them and use that flex that financial muscle he now has that he didn't flex when he was in the auction. I mean, they were, he was letting guys like Austin Jackson go at $13 and when he had a ton of money. And he, it, it, like I said, he could flex that. He could have flexed that financial muscle all throughout the middle and end part of that game, and he didn't. But he you know, salvaged a rather disastrous draft by doing that. And I think it really kind of threw off some of the other values because when you take $60 out of the player pool, it's going to adjust some things. So if you look at some of these values and are like, wow, how did this guy go for this much? How did it go for this much? Well, when $60 is left unaccounted for, it can you know tend to make some guys go. You know, Bryce Harper, $35. Bucks. Edwin Encarnacion, $36. I mean, some of these guys are a dollar or two higher than people are used to seeing in an OBP league. But that's what happens when that kind of uh, crazy play happens. Yeah, I've, I've, I think that he salvaged it to some extent. I mean, for a he got some content out of it, uh, and we're all we're always looking for content. Yeah, it made quite um, it made for quite a B, story. <laughs> right, and B, it's a it's a very interesting thing to track. And C, he definitely got non-zero value out of those sixty dollars, as opposed to sinking sixty bucks into whatever, you know, $1 starter was still out there. So, I mean, he definitely made the best of a worse situation, but it's something something that, that bears watching. And I think a lot of people were also um, talking about when we're going to see the next Labandini. Um, I don't know if you guys know this. There's a legendary auction where someone spent $251. Labandini spent $251 Larry. on hitting <laughs> and spent $9 on pitching. Uh, so that's a that's a that's a staff of nine one dollar pitchers. He finished fourth, uh, but it, it, I heard a lot of uh, people talking about it this year and wondering when the next person's going to try it. Yeah, I mean I've seen guys do two thirty six and twenty four, uh, two ten and fifty. I've seen those kind of uh, things happen. 
but nobody seemed to be that aggressive in, in this one. But it was you know, the whole money on the table thing. It even happened a little bit in AL. Lauren Michaels had $28 for two players. He ended up spending, I think, 12 to 16 on Nick Castellanos and then some, another else, something else on a reliever. So he kind of ended up with some money uh, at the end. But he went that route rather than because you know, there was still a little bit of value. By the time we got to the end, when you're a catcher and pitcher, you're sitting on sixty-three, you know, $64.00. There's only so much you can do, and you know. I, again, I thought this is the best way to salvage thing, and it gives, at least gives him a fighting chance. There's still a lot of holes on his team. I'm not going to even argue against that, but at least gives him a fighting chance within the season to make up the ground. Because in, in Tout Wars, if you finish below a certain threshold, they take away fab dollars from you. They also maybe adjust you because there's also there's the online mixed league and there's the in person leagues. And you can get demoted. You can also get promoted. That's how Podhorser ended up in the AL League with me because he won the online mix league last year. And he's the guy who stole Peacock and Carrasco for me. That bastard. Nah. Oh, yeah, Peacock was going <laughs> well, twice and he jumped in. And then he got Carrasco two picks later because we were in dollar days. He was making around the table. And he's like, ah, oh, Carlos Carrasco. He got a two-finger salute from me for that. Uh, <laughs> well, the um, uh, the... The Indians might go with Josh Tomlin, from what I'm hearing. But I, I, I'm, you know, I've been talking about Carlos Carrasco for a while, so I, I, I hope he does well. Um, although maybe not too well. Although you know, Podhorts is a member of the family here, so I, I'm, I'm rooting for both of y'all. Um, yeah, Podhorts are. We were both in the in the online draft last year, and he won that guy. So I, I finished middle of the table. I got to win it this year and move up. But uh, I don't know what my wife will say about. Uh, multiple trips in in March for for fantasy drafts. Yeah, my wife's but, a hero because uh, I I've done the New York thing now since 2007, so I I've been up every time. I did not go labor in person, so it's like I'm I'm the inverse you. You go to you go to Arizona in person. I go to New York in person. <laughs> I draft Arizona. You draft New York. Well, I miss New York. I got to win that mixed league. Uh, it is, but uh, hopefully hopefully our our, our wrap ups of these different drafts helped you out in different ways. Um, and, and, and as always, uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for listening. Next week, we'll actually have real baseball to talk about. And that's, uh, that's an awesome thing because <laughs> not that here's, here's an unfortunate story from over the weekend, Saturday night, we're at Foley's, you know, baseball bar and everything it gets to be 11 o'clock. And somebody was like, Hey, isn't there baseball on right now? We had completely forgotten about the games in Australia. As far as it's, it was starting at 10 o'clock that night. So we flipped it over and we watched. We had completely forgotten about the first hour. I think that kind of sums up the whole Australia baseball experience uh, in one there. <laughs> yeah, I forgot it. It's, it's going, it went up against March opening weekend of March Madness. That's the crazy thing. So yeah. that is... That is where it sits. None of the players are happy. Yeah. About it. So we have next week. We'll have real baseball to talk about. Uh, we may adjust the recording schedule to. Uh, I know we, we talked about possibly a third day, so we'll see where it goes. I know it will probably be helpful to have an episode possibly on Sunday as you prepare your your fantasy, uh, your free agent budget spending, so you know what who we like, who we don't like, or something. That way, you're not listening to just Thursday night info. But we'll see what we can do. Uh, around that so again thanks for listening thanks for rating on itunes or giving us feedback on twitter or in the comment section and uh, we will talk to you guys again on thursday Ooh.